0: Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today. Uh, it's a good word. I'm reminded in Psalm 27 that God's house, God's temple, uh, the fruit of God will be majesty and glory. God's majesty, God's glory will be revealed in His house, in His temple. I'm also reminded that in Psalm 65, the goodness of God will overflow. It will be poured out and will overflow In his house, in his temple. And I I say today that we have seen God's glory. Amen. And we have seen God's goodness. Uh, And I'm I'm excited because I believe his word is going to continue that theme today the majesty of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God. And uh, I believe and we've already seen it in Mark chapter eleven, in the first eleven verses, if you'll remember Jesus, he entered Jerusalem and he was riding on a young donkey. And the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus Messiah was entering into this week that we call the Passover week. Uh, Some even call it the week of the passion because this is the last week that Jesus will spend on the earth. The people, they spread their cloaks and they spread branches all over the road before him signifying that he is king of kings. And Lord of Lords, He is Jesus Messiah. Now many of the Jews there that day, uh, they could have thought that He was a different kind of Messiah. As you know, uh, the Jews wanted someone to overthrow Rome. They, they wanted Rome out of there, and they wanted Israel to be elevated. And so many of the Jews may have misunderstood, right, who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. Uh, they wanted Him to be the king that they wanted, right? rather than the king he is and the king he was coming to be. They wanted a military and political king. But Mark tells us very on uh, in his gospel, he tells us very early on that this was good news. Jesus told them, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. And here was his message to the people in the very beginning. Repent and believe the good news. Now, what I want you to hear today before we dig in... Uh, to Mark chapter 11 and begin in verse 12, is this. Jesus did not come to fill or fulfill our agenda. You need to understand that today. He didn't come to fulfill your agenda or my agenda, just like He didn't come to fulfill the Israelites' agenda. No, Jesus came to fulfill God's agenda. And listen, if it was that way in Mark chapter 11, it's that way today in Start, Louisiana. Jesus didn't come to fulfill your agenda or my agenda. He came to fulfill God's agenda. He came to fulfill God's plans, God's desires, and He came to fulfill the Word of God and the plan of God with the theme of salvation. What did Jesus say to His disciples? I did not come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that what He said? And He said, to give my life as a ransom. He also said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And so we know what Jesus' agenda is. His agenda is God's agenda. His purpose and His plan is God's purpose and God's plan, and it is salvation. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25, most likely occur on Tuesday. Jesus had come in on Passion Week, the Passover week on Monday. Uh, He stayed there in Bethany, and now he's entering into Jerusalem. And so this passage that we're in is the next day after Jesus uh, entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, he, He spent the night, woke up the next morning. He comes into the temple courts. And I believe what we're going to see in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25, is that Jesus gives us a very important illustration with a fig tree, but he also performs a very important action in the temple courts. And we need to see that today because what Jesus did in Mark chapter 11, I believe, is, is, is what Jesus continues to do today until he comes again. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Don't miss that. He found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, I want you to see very early on, Jesus curses this fig tree as a real illustration for God's people. Listen, some might say that this is a parable, but more than that, it is an acted out parable. It's what I call an illustration. It is a real time and a real life illustration. Uh, Many theologians agree that this miracle uh, is one that can be very much misunderstood Uh, It is oftentimes misinterpreted, but again, this was not just a parable. It was an acted out parable, an illustration, a real event, and it had a purpose. Jesus was in complete control of himself. He was in complete control of his words, his emotions, and his actions. This was not some random event that happened on the way to the temple. Yes, Jesus is fully manned. And we see that because it says Jesus is what? Hungry. Jesus is fully man. However, as we have seen throughout Mark's Gospels, and we've already seen in the first ten chapters of Mark, Jesus is fully God. You know what that means? He's fully divine. Now this is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to comprehend. We can certainly comprehend Jesus as a man because He felt the things that we feel. He he saw the way we see. He, he, He touched the way we touched. I mean, He had the same sensory, right? The sensory perceptions that we have. Jesus was fully man, and He's coming into the temple courts, and He's hungry. But Jesus is also fully God. He's fully divine, and so He doesn't say anything. He doesn't walk anywhere. He doesn't touch anything. He doesn't do anything outside of God's agenda of God's plans and God's purposes. And so the Passover week, the Passion week was in the spring and the harvest for figs was in the fall. So we read this and we might go, well, what's up with the fig tree? Well, I want you to know something about fig trees. I've got one in my backyard and I didn't really understand that until this spring. Did you know that on a fig tree the fruit comes first and then the leaves? Did you know that? That when a fig tree begins to grow and begins to process, the fruit comes first. Now, it is not full mature fruit, but it is the fruit that comes out first and then the leaves produce. As a matter of fact, the small green figs that will become mature figs later are what is they're known as nops. And they come out on the trees, and then the spring. Uh, in the spring, the leaves begin to grow around these knops. Now, in the fall, they will become fully mature figs. But here's what I found out that I did not know: you can actually eat the knops, and it won't make you sick. It, it'll actually it'll actually fulfill the hunger that you might have. Now, will it be tasty? I didn't try that. Because from what I understand, it is not tasty at all. It is very bitter. It is not the sweet fig that you would have, you know, this time of year in the fall when it begins to produce. And so, here's what we need to understand. Jesus was moving towards the temple. He came into Jerusalem. He had a purpose and a plan to fulfill in the temple. But he also was always, what did I tell you? He's always doing with his disciples. Discipling them. He is always discipling his disciples. He's always teaching them and sharing truth and life with his disciples. And so he sees this fig tree from a distance. And this was in the spring, Passion Week, Passover Week. And so what did Jesus know about the fig tree? It would have what on it? Knops. It would have small fruit on it. It may not be tasty, but it would fulfill the hunger. And how did he assume, right? How did he assume that there would be nops on these fig trees? Because he saw what? Leaves. And then when he got there, mm, nothing but leaves. Did you know that in Isaiah 28, 4, and Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, it talks about the nops on the fig tree? Yeah, I didn't know that. I had to research and I had to dig and I had to pray, but I found it. Yeah, it's actually prophesied, prophesied this moment. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus curses the fig tree because it promised fruit, but it had none. What Jesus did to the fig tree was an illustration, a demonstration of what was about to happen in the temple courts, what was about to happen to Israel. And so Mark tells us that. He tells us that from the distance the leaves could be seen. Jesus moves in. There's nothing but leaves. The tree was fruitless. You see that? It was fruitless. Now let me ask you a question. You probably have seen this in the scriptures. What does it say about a tree that does not bear fruit? A tree that is fruitless? What will happen to it? It'll be what? Cut down. Right? What else? It'll die. It'll be thrown into the fire. And so what we see in this illustration is we see this tree is fruitless. It is a picture of hypocrisy. Showing one thing, but having nothing. Right? It's a false hope. That's what this is. It's an illustration of false hope. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, By their fruit, you will know them. This tree had no fruit. It was fruitless. It was a symbol. It was a sign of hypocrisy. It was a symbol and a sign of false hope. The fig tree in in this part of the scripture, it is an illustration of what God's temple, it's an illustration of Israel, what Israel had become, and it is also an illustration, a demonstration of the judgment that was coming. Because Jesus judged this fig tree. He condemned this fig tree. He cursed this fig tree. So the object lesson was not simply about the fig tree. No, the object lesson was about the temple. The object lesson was about Israel. And I'm going to tell you what it's all about. It's about worship and righteousness. Worship and righteousness. Watch what happens beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. Here it is God's agenda, the purpose and plan of God carried out by Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On reaching Jerusalem, he entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, don't miss that verse 17, right? Jesus never stops discipling, he never stops teaching. And as He taught them, He said, Is it not written, My house. Notice, whose house? My house. Because Jesus is not just fully human, He's fully what? He's fully God. And so Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer for what nations? All nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18 and 19 go on to say, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So we've already seen the illustration, right? We've seen the illustration with the fig tree. The illustration with the fig tree was about something way more important than the fig tree itself. It was about the temple, God's house. It was about Israel, God's people. And so what does Jesus do in this moment? It's no longer an illustration, right? We've moved past the illustration. He is now in the temple courts. And so Jesus takes action. He takes action against the corruption of God's temple, of God's house by the people. Some theologians, uh, they call this the cleansing of the temple. Others call it the condemnation of the temple and its people. But let me tell you what this is about. It's about corruption. It's about taking something that is God's and making it their own. It is about moving from God's kingdom and God's agenda to our own kingdom. And our own agenda. I heard it preached. I can't even remember who I was listening to. I was listening to a preacher preach on a podcast last week, I guess it was. And he said, you know what's happening in our world today? We got people building castles more than they're building kingdom. People building castles, right? Their own castles more than they are building the kingdom, God's kingdom. And and that's what was happening here This is about corruption in God's house by the leaders, by the business people who had filled the temple courts. Let me tell you something interesting about the temple before we move too much further. I want you to understand something about the temple. This goes way back. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 22, God called a man by the name of Abraham. and Do you remember what he told Abraham to do with his son Isaac? He said, I want you to sacrifice to me your son Isaac on a mountain that I will show you. You know what mountain he took Isaac up on to sacrifice him to God? Mount Moriah. That's where he took him. He took him to Mount Moriah. Now God gave Abraham a lamb that day, didn't he? Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son to God because he was obeying God. He was in intimate relationship with God. He was holding nothing back from God. And right when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, God provided. He provided Jehovah Jireh. He provided a lamb. And Abraham made a sacrifice to God on Mount Moriah. It was an act of obedience. But more than that, you know what it was? It was an act of worship to God. To nothing And no one else, it was an act of worship to God. Did you know that over 900 years later, a king by the name of David bought this land? This land called the threshing floor of Arunah. You know what the threshing floor of Arunah is? You know where it is? Mount Moriah. David bought Mount Moriah 900 years after Abraham made a sacrifice on that mountain. David bought it. Why did he buy it? The Bible tells us that David bought it so that he could make an altar there to God and could make a sacrifice to the Lord and worship Him. Did you know that six years after that moment, when David, six years after David bought this land and built an altar there on the threshing floor of Aaron, which is Mount Moriah, six years later, his son Solomon began to build what is known as The temple of God on Mount Moriah. He began to build the temple of God. And what's neat and interesting is when you dig into uh, history and you start looking at archaeology, it's really neat because the temple courts, uh, they basically surrounded this mountain. They go up this mountain and up at the very top, right, there was the high place, it was the most holy place, and that's where uh, the high priest, the one priest once a year would go in, only him. He would go in and make a sacrifice to God and worship God. And, and that's where we are. That's where Jesus is standing in this moment. He's in the temple courts right there in Mount Moriah. But did you know before that happened, 300 years after Solomon built the first temple, God brought a people name, known as Babylon. Babylon. You remember what Babylon did to the temple? Somebody tell me what they did to the temple. They destroyed it. Why did did God allow Babylon? Why did God use Babylon to come in and destroy the temple? Because the people were disobedient. And they had begun to worship false gods. And so God begins to discipline them. And God begins to judge them because, as Peter tells us in in his letter, judgment begins with the house of who? Who? Oh, you don't know this? Guess where judgment begins? It begins with the house of God. It begins with the people of God. We are so quick to judge unbelievers. We are so quick to judge other people. But the Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. And so Babylon comes in, destroys the first temple. We go to Ezra chapter 6, and guess what happens in Ezra chapter 6? The people have come back. God has brought them back to Jerusalem. And God gives them everything they need. And what do they do? They build a second temple. They built a second temple. 515 B.C. And the people of God, it says, in Ezra chapter 6, installed the priests and the Levites for the service of God at Jerusalem. This was to be a house of God And a reverent place of worship for God. Again, let me ask you. Whose house is it? It's the house of God. What did Jesus say? It's my house. What is it all about? It's about worshiping who? God. It's about sacrificing to God. It has nothing to do with you and me gaining anything other than being in the presence of Almighty God and saying... We love you. We worship you. We thank you. According to historical records, a man by the name of Herod, we call him Herod the Great, in 20 BC, he rebuilt the temple. He reconstructed it, right? It's what is known as the third temple. But guess what Herod was all about? Do you think Herod, if you know anything about Herod, do you think Herod was, had any, any intention to worship God? No. Who was Herod all about worshiping? Himself. And so Herod said, you know what? These Jews are giving me fits. And so I'm going to try to win these Jews over. I'm going to rebuild this temple for, I'm going to reconstruct this temple. I'm going to make it bigger and better. And, and, I'm, but, but here's the thing. They're going to love me for it. Right? So what was it about? It was about him. His efforts were solely about himself. He wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to win the favor of people. He did not want the favor of God. He wanted the favor of man. And this was the temple where Jesus was standing this day in Mark chapter 11. Jesus was standing there with his disciples. Did you know, in fact, that years after Jesus' resurrection in 70 AD, the Romans had got fed up with Christianity. They had gotten fed up with Christians. They were so tired of the Christians, they said, once and for all, we are going to show them who the boss is. And guess what they did in 70 A.D.? They decimated the third temple. They destroyed it. I mean, there wasn't a brick left from what history tells us. The third temple, gone, 70 A.D. Dr. John MacArthur reminds us in one of his sermons and one of his commentaries, he says there hasn't been a temple on this site, Mount Moriah, in Jerusalem ever since 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it. However, there will be a fourth temple. It will be built during the tribulation period. The Antichrist will come in and desecrate it and destroy it. We see that in Daniel chapter 9. We also know from Ezekiel chapter 43 that there will be a fifth and final temple and it will be a temple Filled with the glory of God for the glory of God. And so I give you this history because the temple is important. And it's important that we understand about the temple and why the temple. It is a place of holiness and righteousness. Not yours and not mine. But the holiness and the righteous of, righteousness of God. It is about the worship of God and nothing else and no one else. As Jesus walks into the temple courts, he sees and experiences anything but righteousness. Anything but holiness. Oh, there was worship going on. Make no, no, make, make no mistake about it. There was worship going on. But it wasn't worship to Almighty God. It was worship of self. That's what was happening when Jesus walked in. You know what this was? This was the leaves of religion on a tree that bears no fruit. That's what it was, the leaves of religion. Because guess what happened in those temple courts? Everybody was in it to make a little money. The Passover week, people are traveling from all over, Jews and Gentiles. And guess what? If you didn't use the right coinage, right? If you didn't use the right coinage, oh, you could go and you could trade it. But guess what the money lenders would do? What, what do you think they would do when you handed them a coin that was no good for sacrifices or to buy and purchase in Jerusalem? Guess what they would do? Oh, we'll trade you. We'll give you the money you need. But guess what they did? They charged interest. That's right. They made a little money. Actually, they made a lot of money. They charged five times the rate that would have been charged outside of the temple gates. See, once you got inside the temple, it was you, you couldn't turn around and go back out. So guess what they did? They took advantage. Not only that, if someone came in and brought an animal, guess what? The religious leaders got to look at the animal and says, it passes or it fails. If it fails, guess what you had to do? You had to buy an animal that they approved from a business leader that they were in with. Oh, the corruption. The corruption that filled the temple courts. The religious leaders thought that they could establish the standard. Thought that they could create the standard. They thought that they could produce holiness and righteousness. But let me just tell you something. Self-righteousness is no righteousness at all. You can pretty it up all you. I tell people all the time. You know what? You can shine a penny and make it shine brightly. But guess what? It still ain't worth but one penny. That's it. And so listen, self-righteousness is no righteousness at all. And so Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He begins to drive out people. He begins to overturn tables. Let me tell you what this is. This is Jesus demonstrating the power of God and the authority of God driving the people out of the temple courts, overturning the tables and the benches. Listen, this was action by Jesus. It was a demonstration of what true holiness and true righteousness was all about. It's also judgment. Judgment by the only one who could do it. I'm going to tell you something that's very interesting. Notice that Jesus comes into this this, this, this temple court. And, and again, these courtyards would have been all around, Right? They would have been all the way around, building up to the most holy place, the high place. So Jesus comes in, and and look, from, from our vantage point, it looks like maybe he's just in one court. Here's what I believe. I believe Jesus made his rounds. I believe Jesus made his rounds. I believe when it says he cleared it out, he cleared it out. But you want to know what I find interesting? All of these leaders, all of these religious leaders and the temple guards, what did they do to stop Jesus? Somebody tell me, what did they do to stop him? Nothing. They did nothing to stop him, right? It says that the religious leaders wanted to kill him, but what does it also say about him? They feared him. See, Jesus stood with true power and true authority because it was the true holiness of God, the true righteousness of God, and he was cleaning house. Not their house, his house. No one could stop him because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was not some helpless victim of your sin and some helpless victim on the cross. You me tell you who Jesus is? He's the victor of your sin and the victor of the cross. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. Right? He gave his life. The temple of God was supposed to be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it into a den of robbers. I love this because as Jesus always does, he teaches them, he disciples them through the scriptures, right? and, And it's kind of neat for me because, you know, the Bible says in John that the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. So Jesus, right, is quoting Scripture that He is. He's quoting Scripture that He is. He's quoting Scripture that He wrote. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He quoted Isaiah 56, 7, that says, My house will be a house of prayer. He quotes Jeremiah 7:11 that says, You have made my house into a den of robbers. This was about the corruption, the corruption of the leaders, which led to the corruption of the temple, which led to the corruption of the nation. I told you this earlier in the sermon, right? Jesus didn't come. To overthrow Rome and to elevate Israel. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save us from our sin and our sinfulness. And that's what this is. Jesus was not there to destroy. He was not there to destroy Rome or overthrow Rome. He wasn't there to elevate the Israel of nation. I'm going to tell you, the, the nation of Israel. He was there. To fulfill God's agenda. And the Bible says he sent his son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But life for you and me only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Given up on the cross. This was about the true worship of God. This was about the righteousness and holiness of almighty God. What did Jesus tell His disciples? What did Jesus tell us in the Gospel of John? Who is it that God is seeking? He's seeking worshipers who worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. In other words, the Spirit of God indwelling. The Spirit of God leading, guiding, and directing. And truth, the one true God. That's who God is seeking. I wonder today if God was looking out on this place. God was looking out on this people today, would He find true worshipers? Would He find those who are focused on Jesus and Jesus Christ alone? Would He find those who are wanting to be a part of and build the kingdom of God rather than those trying to build their own castles? Would He find those who have no agenda, no agenda other than to worship God? To please God? To be satisfied in God? The disciples are are being discipled. I'm going to show you what happens here because in verse 20 it says in the morning, right? Because, Because they left after Jesus cleared the temple courts, after Jesus pointed to the judgment that would come, to the temple, to Israel? It says he left. Verse 20 says, In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. The fig tree was what? It was dying. Why? Because Jesus cursed it. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus Discipling the disciples and teaching the disciples and moving them forward. in kingdom ministry says this in verse 22. Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer... Let me me just tell you something. He ain't talking about prayer, and he ain't talking about faith, and he ain't talking about forgiveness randomly. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Let me tell you, this is not just some random next day event. Jesus is is putting this together for his disciples and he's discipling them every step of the way. So they see Jesus enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus has told them, I'm going there to die. He's told them that three times. I'm going there to die and I will rise again after three days. He's told them this. He gets to the city. They pour out their their cloaks and the branches and they're crying, Messiah, Messiah, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But their thoughts, right, and their hearts, this is the king that's going to put Rome in its place. This is the king that's going to make us who we're supposed to be. Oh, they were worshiping that day. They were worshiping their own hearts, their own minds, their own thoughts, their own plans, and their own agendas. Jesus takes them to the the fig tree. He's got a real life illustration, right? An acted out parable. And he curses that fig tree because that fig tree was fruitless. It was hypocrisy. It was false hope. It was supposed to have fruit on it. Maybe not mature fruit, maybe not in full season because it wasn't time, but it was time to have something on it. And all it had was leaves, nothing but leaves. And then we come back to that, back to that tree, right? They've been in the temple, they've seen what Jesus has done. I'm sure they were just as amazed as everyone else, but they've already seen Jesus' power and authority, and they know that Jesus is who He says He is, and that He's coming to do what He said He was going to do. They come to the fig tree, and, and Peter's looking at that fig tree, and he's, he's probably still trying to process what's going on. You know, the fig tree's dying. That's the one that you cursed. Surely that's, that's got to mean something. And Jesus says, have faith in God. And then he talks about prayer, and he talks about forgiveness. Let me just tell you, the fruit of God's temple should always consist of faith, prayer, and forgiveness. The fruit of God's house The fruit of God's temple. It should always overflow. It should always consist of faith. Faith in God, prayer, and forgiveness. How dare we? How dare we ever get satisfied with the leaves of religion? However, listen, how dare we ever... Just say, oh yeah, we got a ministry for this and a ministry for that, a ministry for this, a ministry for that. How, how dare we ever just put on leaves with no true fruit? What a mockery of God. What a mockery of His church when it's about us and it's about people applauding us. It should never be that. It should always be about the fruit of the Spirit that only God can give. It should always be that. It should never be about my title or your title or our title or how many buildings we got or how much money we got in the bank. It should never ever be about that. It should always be about faith in God and prayer to God and forgiveness from God and for others. That's what it should always be about. That's what should always be preached. Our faith should be in God. God. And I love this because Jesus is teaching. He's discipling his disciples. It's not about the amount of faith. It's about the object of faith. Did you see that? He didn't say have this much faith. He said have faith in who? In God. What has Jesus already told us about the faith of a mustard seed? Huh? And now he's telling us if you'll just have faith in God, you can tell that mountain to jump in the sea. And if you're praying in God and you're filled with the Spirit of God, that mountain's got to do what you say. Because it's in God. Our faith should be in God. He is the object of our faith. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it's about what He can and will do in you, to you, and through you for the kingdom. Not for your castle. See, here's here's where we get messed up. We start praying for God to do something for me. For God to do something in my castle. And it ain't got nothing to do with his kingdom. And we expect God to honor that. We expect God to bless that. And when he don't, we pitch a fit. Our prayers should always glorify God. Always. Our prayers should always glorify God. I'm going to ask you a question that I asked a group of men at a Bible study not too long ago. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, are you praying for God to please you? Or are you praying so that you can please God? You may not want to answer that question, right? I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to poke a little bit. When you pray, are you praying for God to please you? Are you praying in such a way that you will please God? Are we praying for God to move for us? Or are we praying for God to move in us? Because there's a difference. God move for me. Or God move in me. The fruit of the temple should be faith. The fruit of the temple should be prayer. And Jesus tells us that the fruit of the temple should be forgiveness. As a matter of fact, our forgiveness from God should be shared to, for, and with others. Jesus is very clear here, right? The forgiveness God gives you, you are a vessel of it, right? You, You ought to take that forgiveness that God's given you and you ought to pour it out to others, for others, and with others. These are the fruits of a people... In a right relationship with God. These are the fruits of a people who are worshiping God and God alone. And I'm going to tell you, worship for God and God alone, it begins with humble repentance. Oh God, I am a sinful man. God, I am a sinner. And I don't deserve to be here in your presence, God. I can't buy. I can't buy your presence. But God, your word tells me that you love me. You love me first. Your word tells me that you love me so. Your word tells me that if I will confess my sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. Cleanse me. Does that sound familiar? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. What was Jesus doing in the temple? Tell me what he was doing in the temple, anybody. Yeah, he was cleansing the temple, right, of what? Unrighteousness. Corruption. Sin. Sin. I didn't get time to go into to Paul's message about who the temple is, but I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, you are a temple of God. I am a temple of God. More than the place you're sitting, you the people, this body, this church, we are the temple of God. The Bible tells us when we repent of our sin, God is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would he do that? I'm going to tell you why. Because he's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And you can't worship God when you're filled with self. It's hard to worship God, right? It's hard to worship God when you got your eyes on something or someone else. And so God, he, he purifies us. He cleanses us from all that unrighteousness. He, he, gives, us, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we can stand before Him and we can worship Him with nothing and no one holding us back, not even ourselves. And that is worship that God seeks. And that is worship that glorifies and honors Him. And that is worship that builds His kingdom. The cursed fig tree was just an illustration. An illustration that pointed to an important action that had to be performed by Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. It was about a cleansing that could come only through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was about true and proper worship in the house of God and by the house of God. So I want to ask you some questions as we close. Number one, have you surrendered all of who you are to God? Have you surrendered all of who you are to God? It's going to be hard for you to worship God in spirit and truth if you don't come to God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength because that is what God desires. He wants all of you. Not part of you. All of you. So have you surrendered all of who you are to God alone? Nothing else, no one else. And are you worshiping God in His Holiness, in His righteousness. I don't don't come to God and raise my hands because I've got something good to offer Him. No, I come to God and raise my hands because I am the offering. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? Be a what? A living sacrifice to God. Be a living sacrifice to God. God, I don't come with anything good enough. God, I don't come with anything that's costly enough, but God, here's what I come with. I come with me. God, I come with my broken heart because your word says a broken heart and a contrite spirit you will not despise. Say, that's not my words, that's God's words. Go look at the Psalms. God, you want me, you don't want my title. God, you you don't want anything that I've worked hard for. Oh, God, no, you want me. You want me because here's the thing. If you truly have me, then you'll have everything I am. Instead of worshiping those things, God, I worship you. And I bring myself to you. And anything I am and anything I have, God, it's at your disposal. I wonder today. How many of us look like that fig tree? Boy, the leaves of religion are green and big and people can see it. But there's no fruit. You better be careful with those leaves of religion. Because Jesus cursed that tree. It had big old pretty leaves on it. He cursed it and it died. And he said, you'll know a tree by its what? By its fruit. He didn't say you'll know a tree by its leaves. He said you'll know a tree by its fruit. I wonder today, how many of us look like that fig tree? Got the leaves of religion all over us, but we ain't got no fruit. Because we've not truly surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We've been playing a game. Playing a game. At some point, the game's going to come to an end. And all that matters is, do you have Jesus or not? It won't matter how many ministry teams you served on or how many times you came to church or how much money you gave to church. All that will matter is, do you have Jesus? Does Jesus have you? Because I'm going to tell you something. When you have Jesus and Jesus has you, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. It won't be about leaves, it'll be about fruit.